You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Today we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and be turning there. We're going to look at two parables that uh, Jesus tells that give us a glimpse into the very heart of God. And so while you're turning there, we're going to throw a picture up on the screen of a lady. And I want to tell you about her. Uh, yeah, there you go. While you're turning there, her name is, this is a true story. This lady right here in the scrubs or whatever you call that, that hazmat suit, that is Tiffany Otterbeck. She's from New York City. And in 2016, this 35-year-old wife and mother was cooking some meatloaf, mistake number one, for her family dinner (laughs) when the unthinkable happened. She says, I washed my hands and I put my wedding rings on the wet paper towel. I then touched the meat, washed my hands again, and used a fresh paper towel. So Tiffany, who likes to clean as she cooks, then clears off the countertop mid-prep, mistakenly throwing the paper towels away with her beloved diamond rings still inside. You see them there on her hand. She says, when I went to grab my coffee the next morning at work, I went to adjust my rings and I felt my hand and automatically knew. It was a horrible flashback knowing that I had thrown it in the garbage. Tiffany immediately calls her mom, who was watching her two young children, to check and see if the trash had been picked up yet, because it was Tuesday morning. And it just so happened that was trash day. And they had just come and gone, her mother tells her. So Tiffany's heart sinks down into her stomach. Next, she calls her husband to deliver the devastating news, but she only hears silence on the other end of the phone. She says, he hung up on me. And after unsuccessfully trying to track down the truck while it was still in their neighborhood, uh, she calls the sanitation department. I was hysterical, she says. I'm sorry, I just realized what I did and it's hitting me, she tells them. So within 15 to 20 minutes, she was connected with a supervisor that was in charge of her specific neighborhood who let her know that he had instructed the truck to stop its pickup to park it in a specific safe area, and he had instructed the men not to dump the trash or do anything further with the truck. This is getting good, right? So they planned to meet that very evening to dig through the trash together. She was instructed to, quote, wear old clothes and to enlist more help than just her husband and her. So when they arrived, they were met by five sanitation workers ready and willing to help them search through the pounds and piles of trash. It only took 45 minutes to find the needle in the haystack among the whopping seven tons of trash. I was relieved, she says. I was so happy, she said. I can't believe I lost them and I'd hoped to pass them down to my daughters one day. Have you ever searched for something valuable? 
Most people have. And Jesus is going to use this fact to clue us in to his very mission. The reason that he has come. And just last week, we officially, as a church, changed our name to The Crossing. And aside from giving a nod to the history of our city, one of the primary reasons for the change was that The Crossing speaks of this place where the real you can meet the real Jesus. And so with that in mind, I want to pray together as we get to today's text. Holy Spirit, without your work here today, we'd be blind to the truth about ourselves. So would you make us aware of what's really going on? Would you help us see who we are? And without you, also, Holy Spirit, um, we could never see or experience the real Jesus. So would you open our eyes to see him for who he is as we read his words? And as we see the real Jesus in light of who we really are, I'm, I'm asking you that you would draw us to him. For some here today, maybe that's for the first time. I pray that they would see that this is the one, this Jesus is the one that their heart was made for. And, and give us afresh, as, as disciples of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So let's start looking at the first two verses of chapter 15 together. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, in the original Greek, when, when Luke actually pinned this down, he never wrote any numbers in his, in his book, no chapters. So I think it'd be helpful for us to look at real quick what was going on in chapter 14. At the end of chapter 14, Jesus had just taught on the cost of being a disciple. That following him would mean radical transformation in our lives. And Jesus says... In the last verse of chapter 14, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what Jesus has just done is offered an invitation. And this is the invitation. Who wants to know what the real Jesus is like? Anyone who is willing is invited to hear, is invited to meet him. That could mean you. So know this. That Jesus is not this morning hiding himself from you. Instead, he is moving towards you. And he is inviting you to listen. So do we this morning have ears to hear? But what's the next thing we see? The tax collectors, the scribes, they're grumbling. So there's one group of people who have ears to hear, and one group of people who do not. Who was the group that has ears to hear? Look, it says in verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering. This is a really interesting group. So tax collectors were typically Jewish men who had purchased from Roman officials the right to collect various taxes and customs and tolls. And the system abounded with abuses 
For example, a tax collector could add whatever fee or toll to the Roman tax in order to line his own pocket. The tax gatherers were, quote, cordially hated and despised by their fellow countrymen. Not because they only looked unpatriotic, but they were dishonest, often greedy. And also their job actually makes them ritually unclean. And so these pious Jews saw them as being alienated from God. And so not only there are the tax collectors drawing near to Jesus, but sinners gathered. So what does that mean? Because aren't we all sinners? Like wouldn't tax collectors be sinners? Well, while that's true, uh, the religious Jew would have seen a sinner as someone who lived a blatantly immoral life. Or maybe they had a questionable job or... Maybe they were handicapped in some way. So in other words, sinners would include the prostitutes, the poor, the town drunk, the crippled, the blind. And it's interesting that these are the people who are drawn to the real Jesus. What's also interesting is that the real Jesus welcomed them. And so before we go any farther, let me just say to you, That you may be the one in here today who feels like you're the farthest away from God. And even though you're in the same room with everybody else, you feel like you could not be further away from God. Like you don't belong here. Or maybe you're not the Christian type. Well, there's good news for you. Jesus wants you and welcomes you to the table. So in verses 1 and 2, we find that the people you would most expect to listen... They have their proverbial fingers in their ears. And the ones we would least expect are pressing in to listen. Which, by the way, this is very convicting to me. Because if I'm to be like Jesus, I would think I should see myself attracting sinners. Yet I often find myself more comfortable around the religious. And this is just true of me. However, it was not true of Jesus. And so if I, as a follower of Jesus, want to be more like Jesus... This needs to be said of me. So, what are the religious Pharisees doing? Well, they're grumbling. And they're saying, this man, listen to what they say. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Folks, without even realizing, they are sharing with you and me the good news of the gospel. Jesus is all about welcoming sinners and eating with them. So what's... Wrong with that, Mr. Religious Pharisee. Isn't that a basis for us to adore Jesus? Shouldn't this tune your heart to sing his praise? Ought you not to magnify such an individual? Should you not seek to model your life after such a life as his? It was clear to them that Jesus was on a mission. And in Luke chapter 5, Jesus called a tax collector... To be one of his closest followers, one of his 12 disciples. In in Luke chapter 5, Jesus calls Levi, he's one of the 12, a tax collector. And when he calls Levi to follow him, Levi throws this big party of a banquet and invites all his friends. So guess who comes to the party? Lots of tax collectors and people like him. And just like in the story we're reading today, the religious people look around and say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. You say you're a religious man, but you keep hanging around the wrong crowd. 
Why? And Jesus answers in Luke 5 verse 31. He says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In a similar way, Jesus came and visited Zacchaeus. You remember him? The wee little man? Wee little man was he. Yeah, he was also a tax collector. And he is coming to see Jesus. He's heard about Jesus. And in chapter 19 of this very same book, Jesus passes by and sees Zacchaeus up in a tree. And remember what he says to him? Zacchaeus, you come down, right? For I'm going to your house today. I think he sung it uh, to Zacchaeus. (laughs) And they skipped along and went over to Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus, upon meeting the real Jesus, you know what he does? He repents of his way of life. Last time, that'll be the last time I get water up here. I, I complained last time because uh, I didn't have any water. And actually, I did have water, but it was way down there. And uh, I'm going to drink another drink now. For those of you listening to the podcast, the millions listening right now, um, I just spilled my water on the stage. But Jesus, the real Jesus, has this encounter with the real Zacchaeus. He knows who Zacchaeus is, knows his name, goes to his house. Zacchaeus repents of all his wicked ways, says, if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to go back. I'm going to pay them back. I'm going to like just give away all my wealth. And Zacchaeus' life is radically transformed by encountering the real Jesus. And what Jesus says in chapter 19, verse 10, Today, salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Zacchaeus was lost. Jesus came seeking and saved Zacchaeus. Pharisees aren't very impressed with this ministry of Jesus. In fact, the Pharisees referred to the general public, these tax collectors, sinners, anybody who wasn't really a pious religious person, they called them the people of the land. And in the Pharisees' own writing, in their own writings, this is what they would say about the people of the land. We're going to put it on the screen. When a man is one of the people of the land, entrust no money to him. Take no testimony from him. Trust him with no secret. Do not appoint him a guardian of an orphan. Do not make him the custodian of charitable funds. Do not accompany him on a journey. The strict Jews said, not that there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Rather, they would say, it was a common saying, that there will be joy in heaven over one who provokes God and perishes. Jesus' message is, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. But the Pharisees who are listening say, there will be joy in heaven over one of you wicked people when you're destroyed. A Pharisee was forbidden to be the guest of any such a man or to have him as his guest. He was even forbidden as far as it was possible to have any business dealings with a man of the land. So now we're going to move into the parables. Let's look and see what Jesus actually had to say. And we're going to notice as we read the parables that there are actually two distinct audiences as Jesus begins to teach. 
Jesus speaks directly to the religious Pharisees. So that's who Jesus is actually speaking to. However, he's doing so in the presence of tax collectors and sinners. So there is something for the tax collector and sinner to hear. And there's also something for the religious self-righteous to hear. The good news today is it just about covers everybody in this room. The real Jesus has something for each and every one of us to hear. So let's look at the parable together. Verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. And just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I want to make a couple quick observations from this parable. The first is this. Sheep are goners without a shepherd. Sheep are goners without a shepherd. Sheep, if you didn't know this, are dumb and not good at finding food. In fact, one of the reasons a sheep needs a shepherd is to constantly move him to green pastures. Because a sheep is so dumb, he'll continue to eat and eat and eat until there's nothing but dirt left probably eat the dirt and eventually die of starvation because the green pasture, which is literally a few yards away, he'll never find it. He is just dumb as a rock. Sheep are very also very vulnerable to attack from predators. Wolves would often come in and sneak in and pick off a sheep because they don't really have much of a defense mechanism. Sheep are slow. They don't, they're not very strong. Very vulnerable to attack. Also, sheep can die from simply getting stuck over on their back. So a sheep that would wander away, it could likely even lose its life by simply nestling down in like a little burrow or some type of little uh, rut and, and find it comfortable, but then find itself if it's too overweight or it's got a little too much fleece or if it's pregnant get over on its back and be unable to even get back up again. In fact, I was watching a video in preparation this week uh, from some uh, thing in the UK. This guy was talking about, you can save a sheep's life. If you're walking along the countryside and you happen to see a sheep, you know, I don't know what uh, accent that is I'm using, but you happen to see a sheep lying over on its side, it's not resting. It's in danger. In fact, the grass that it's been eating will form gases in its body that it cannot release because it's upside down and within hours could actually lose its life. And so what you need to do is you need to come over to the sheep. You bend down and you carefully do this because it's going to get scared and kick and stuff. But you pick that sheep up and just roll him back on over to his feet. And when you do, it's a little dizzy. It's a funny video. He kind of stammers around and wanders back off. So sheep are dumb. They're very vulnerable to attack. Listen, by the way, you know who Jesus compares you and me to? Sheep. It's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, the truth of the matter is, uh, we're all pretty dumb. Uh, matter of fact, um, if, if I told you to go out, if, if like the Bible was written in a way to say like, hey, your job is to go out and just find God. 
you know, or figure out what the right thing to do is. Let me tell you something. We'd all have a different idea and they would all be dumb. Okay. In fact, if you look around the world, you'll see that this is true because mankind does this all the time. We do all kinds of things to try to find some God. And so since we can't find him, we make them up. You know, we'll carve images and make it a God or we'll like, uh, you know, create some type of something and we're just dumb. We just are. In fact, you can see it like in the day-to-day uh, dealings of your own life. Okay. I'm, I'm just speaking the truth. It's God's word, not me, but you're dumb. Okay. <laughs> it's, it really is true. We need a shepherd. We, we need, and Jesus, by the way, is the good shepherd. Not only are we dumb, but we are very vulnerable to attack. We're very vulnerable to attack. Jesus, uh, when looking at the crowds, uh, G- the scriptures tells that Jesus has compassion on them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And you and I, without the good shepherd's protection, we're vulnerable to attack, vulnerable to attack from the enemy and to our own, again, our own stupidity. And not only that, but we can die from simply getting stuck on our backs from simply being away from the fold, from simply being away from the fellowship of God, which we were made for. We're just like sheep. So not only are sheep goners without a shepherd, one sheep, one sheep in this parable is worth the demanding hunt for the shepherd. Did you know a sheep can weigh like 100 pounds? Um, I've been building a deck in my backyard these last couple of weeks. Uh, it's supposed to be some kind of bonding experience with my son. I uh, seem to have spent a lot more days out there than he has. But uh, wh- while building this, one of the things we had to get was sacks of concrete. Because as I'm uh, using this auger, by the way, thank you very much uh, to the Wilkins for letting me use her little auger uh, to drill the holes in my ground. Uh, but I'm, I've got these sacks of concrete. And those 80-pound sacks of concrete are heavy. You know, so lugging those around makes my shoulders sore. And so I can just, in some way, empathize with a shepherd who goes out and finds a sheep who maybe is over on his back and ties those legs of the sheep around his own neck as he lifts it up and carries it on the long journey, not just back to the field where he was grazing, but where does he take it? Into the village, right? He goes even farther and goes into the village so that everybody can celebrate with him for the sheep that was lost and has been found. It was worth the demanding hunt for the shepherd. Catch this. The hunt that Jesus is on for you was a very demanding hunt. In fact, it cost the very Son of God, the God of all glory, His very life. And not in some easy way, but in some gruesome and difficult and hard way. And the road to Calvary was marked with suffering for Jesus. But as He does that, you know what He's doing? He's on the hunt for you and for me. Not only that, but finding the sheep brings joy to the shepherd. Notice that he celebrates and the whole village celebrates with him. And check this out. Jesus rejoices and all of heaven with him when one sinner repents. Man, Jesus finds joy when one sinner repents. By the way, this word repents, uh, to keep it from being too religious sounding, uh, it's really Simply a change of mind and a change of direction. To repent means I'm going to change my mind about two things. I'm going to change my mind about God and I'm going to change my mind about my sin. In other words, the God who I once ran from, 
the God who I once despised, the God who I once never even gave much attention or thought to, I am now drawn to. I now see him and I now adore him and I long for him and I want him. And the sin that I used to run to and love and crave, I now despise. There's a change in my mind. That's when one center, sinner has this change of heart, this change of mind and repents, there's joy in heaven. And what did Jesus say that was to Zacchaeus? Salvation. That's what salvation is. When I come to, like we would find out later in this chapter, my senses and realize that my heart was not made for these things that I'm running after. My heart was made for something so much greater. It was made for God and Jesus has come to find you and bring you to him. And so when you repent of your sin and you, you change your mind about your sin and you turn toward Jesus, salvation comes in your life and you find the one thing that your heart's been longing for. Not only that, but those who are self-righteous, we find that they, quote, need no repentance, which is not really true, is it? But they bring no joy to heaven. More joy is found over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous. Interesting. Let's look at the next parable Jesus gives here, the parable of the lost coin. To keep from leaving any women out, Jesus says in verse 8, What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now this story uh, could mean one of two things. I'm going to give you both possibilities. One, it could be that she's just a, a poor lady who maybe doesn't have a lot of money. And so this silver coin could be that uh, day's wage that we read about in the New Testament. And so we're, she's losing like a tenth of what she has of all that she owns. That would be a pretty big loss. Okay, and that would make sense in light of the story. Another possibility that, that many uh, um, theologians say is that this could be part of an actual headdress that would be worn by first century women as part of like a dowry uh, that she would be given before she gets married, almost like a wedding ring. In fact, I think we have a picture of one uh, here, maybe, yes? Yeah, So okay, something like that. Like a little headdress or uh, even a necklace, perhaps, that this bride would wear. In fact, if, the, uh, if this is the case that Jesus is talking about, losing one of those or maybe using one to sell if you were in dire need would require the permission of your husband. And so to have one missing could be grounds for divorce if the husband finds out. And so this woman has lost, either way, this woman has lost one of her silver coins. And she stops everything and rearranges all her priorities to find the silver coin. So by welcoming tax collectors and sinners and eating with them, Jesus is, in a sense, lighting a lamp and sweeping the house. So maybe you, if you're honest, have noticed a strange series of circumstances in your life. 
Like there may be some people sitting in this room today that would say, you know, if I was being honest, there's some weird things that have happened in my life over the last few, whatever it is, weeks, months, days, I don't know, that have brought me to this place. And I don't really understand like why I'm here, but I felt drawn to be here. Or maybe I've made a new friend who invited me here today or uh, just moved to this town or I just got this job so that somehow I was connected to somebody who brought me to this place or whatever that may be. And you think like, this is just a really strange set of coincidences in my life. And I'm here to tell you that what's actually happening is that Jesus, through those series of circumstances in your life, those coincidences in your life, Jesus is sweeping the house and he's searching for you. Jesus is out looking for that lost sheep. And that's you. And you know it. And Jesus also will not stop until he has his way, until he finds you. Jesus uh, must have gotten under the skin of the Pharisees. He essentially is asking this question of them. Should a shepherd despise or neglect his sheep? And the answer to the Pharisees is no. No, he shouldn't do that. Or is it reasonable for this lady, after experiencing such a loss, to have this attitude of, eh, I don't care? The answer is no. So the great contrast is between the Pharisees who are sour and the angels who are singing. Sour Pharisees, singing angels. And when sinners get converted, it's always going to be like this. There are those who only know a system of religiosity, but they've never experienced a life transformed. And when that's the case, they will never enter into the joy of God in the salvation of the lost. So let's see how this applies to our lives. Like, why does this matter to me? Well, there's three things I think we can see from the parable. I want to write these down and we'll put them up on the screen. Number one is that our God is a seeking God. Christianity is distinct from all of the religions of the world. In every other religion of the world, it begins with man's search for God. Whereas Christianity starts with God's search for man. It's one of the great glories of the gospel. The psalmist says, who is man that you are mindful of him? Like, who am I that God would think of me or that he would know my name? Or ever come searching for me. Billy Graham says it this way. All the religions of the world have one thing in common. They're all searching for God. Even if they don't call him God. Or they think he may be many gods or goddesses. They do this in a multitude of ways. But they're all trying to find God. And gain his favor by their sacrifices and good deeds. But Christianity is different. Instead of us searching for God. God is searching for us. Instead of us reaching up to God, God is reaching down to us. This is why Jesus is essential. Because he came down from heaven to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Bring us to God. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus did not just come seeking someone. He came seeking you. He knows his sheep. He recognizes the coin. 
He knows your name. He's seeking you. Secondly, we see that those who are far from God can easily sense the spirit of a Pharisee in us. Remember we said there are two audiences listening here. Jesus is directly speaking to religious people. So if you're one of those who feels really far from God this morning, you're thinking, I don't really belong in here. I hope so far you've heard the good news that Jesus is seeking you and there's a room for you at his table. He welcomes you. But maybe you're in that other camp that Jesus is speaking directly to who has no care or concern at all for the lost sheep. And if that's the case, I I would have us here, I think Jesus would have us here, that the people who are far from God can quickly sense that Pharisee spirit in us. The message of the Pharisee is this. If you want to clean yourself up, then you can come. We don't like you. We're a clean group. See, we've got it all sorted out. And when you, young man, get it all sorted out, then you can come too. And if Jesus had adopted this approach, Zacchaeus would have never been saved. The woman at the well that we heard about just last week would have never been spoken to. None of us today would even be able to name his name. The non-Christian world is quick to detect the Pharisee in us. They hear, get like us, rather than, we have a Jesus for you who can turn your life around. The great, late Robin Williams said in an interview quite a long time ago, he says it this way, a guy who, by the way, seemed to search for Jesus in some way and yet never tragically, never found him. He said, you know, Jesus hung out with the lepers. So let's wise up for a brief moment. He was hanging out with the hookers and lepers. Mary wasn't a nun, okay? You have to take that stand. You have to take that stand. And wonder among people, you know? So we, as as followers of Jesus, cannot just say, well, that's just the way it is. Because Jesus, by his example and in this story, is saying that God is a seeking God. And we're to be like him. And so the third thing we would notice from this, these two parables is that what God has done in us, he wants to do through us. So am I, am I prepared to commit my life to, to the demanding experience of seeking the lost? Am I prepared to make the ultimate sacrifice with my time, with my talents, with my treasures, to be the bridge over which Jesus might walk to invade the life of a lost person? Whether I think they're redeemable goods or not. C.T. Studd, love his name, reminds me of me. He's a great uh, missionary. And he said it this way, I love this. Someone to live within the sound of church or chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Or maybe we would have the heart of John Knox, the great Scottish reformer who said it this way, give me Scotland or I die. Not that this is some kind of like demanding thing, God, you better do this for me, but no, it's a revelation of his heart for his people. And oh, that that heart would burn in me. Give me Paragold or I die. 
Look around you how many people are in this room. And even if we took all the churches of Paragould or Greene County, Jonesboro, we put them all together. We're not even beginning to touch the number of people who are far from God this morning. And oh, I pray that I could not continue to walk in these doors week after week or in my missional community and just through my day-to-day life and just have apathy towards people who are far from God. God, forgive me and take away from me this spirit of a Pharisee. This is the heart of Jesus and it must be the heart of his disciples. So am I content with coming each week, listening to some parables, singing some songs, enjoying some coffee and muffins until next week when I can have some more coffee and muffins. I remember being a kid. I was uh, 10 or 11. And I remember watching the greatest basketball player who ever lived. In case you weren't aware of who that was, it's Michael Jordan. Um, yeah, and he led the Chicago Bulls in 1991 to their first ever national title against Magic Johnson and the Lakers. After losing game one, they won four straight games to clinch the series in Los Angeles. And after the game, I can still remember seeing it, Bob Costas, dude's still around, still reporting. He's a reporter, and he's like pushing past Scottie Pippen, pushing past everybody else. I want to see Mike in the locker room. And he goes over to a corner of a locker room and he finds Michael Jordan doing this right here. Holding that trophy like a teddy bear and unashamedly weeping over that trophy. For what? Well, it was the culmination of a life's work. All of his thought from the time he was a young boy All of his thought and energy had gone into achieving this one goal. And if a man, and by the way, whether we think that's a noble goal or not, I think it's pretty awesome. Whether we think it's a noble goal or not, if a man can do that for a prize that will one day perish and fade away, where is the Christian? Can we as disciples of Jesus not expend ourselves for the sake of the lost Because when we do so, we receive a prize that will not perish or fade. Jesus said it this way in chapter 14, that when we give, when we throw a dinner, invite these people. Invite the people who cannot pay you back. Because when you do, and here's the payoff, he says, you will be rewarded at the resurrection. That's, do you believe that? Do you believe that the reward you will receive at the coming of Jesus will be so far greater than any boat you could own or any vacation you could take or any golf ball you could hit or any ladder you could climb or any status you could amass for yourself? Far better than any family you could raise. The reward you'll receive when Jesus returns and says, well done, my good and faithful servant, exceeds it all. So remember, as disciples of Jesus, we're committed to three things. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And to become like Jesus, 
means that we see and love the world the way he sees and loves the world. We're about to come to a time that we do each week where we gather together around a table. And I think both groups of people need to hear something about this table this morning. One, if you find yourself and you feel like I identify with the tax collectors and sinners, that's me. Like maybe I, I, this is new to me or I don't belong here or this feels weird. I don't know if I believe all this. I want you to know that what we're about to do, we're about to like walk in lines. We're going to take a piece of bread and dip it in some grape juice. And I just want you to know that rather than feeling compelled to do that, I would urge you, I would implore you to receive Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Repent of your way and embrace his way. Because there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And so if that's you, we're going to stand in just a moment. When we do, would you find one of our pastors, Jared, or Jared's out, <laughs> Luke, Chuck, Adam, all here. I'll speak with you. We would love to talk to you about how you can enjoy Jesus. Maybe you're one of those who, like me, wishes and, and feels like I could identify with the shepherd but too often find myself, if I'm honest, identifying with the Pharisee. And maybe today, as we gather around the table together, we can be reminded that Jesus came seeking and saving lost people. And at one time, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, that was me. And if I don't go, like Robin Williams said, if I don't go hang out with them, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? And so I pray that as we go and, and, and commune together that we'd be reminded of the commission that Jesus has given us. Let's stand together. The musicians are going to come and we're going to pray as they come. Lord Jesus, would you do just that? Would you open the eyes of the blind? Would you find the sheep that are lost? And I pray that they wouldn't kick or fight, but they would willingly embrace the good shepherd. Jesus, you laid down your life for the sheep. Thank you for, for that. And for those of us you have redeemed, for those of us you have saved, as we come and gather around this table this morning, I pray we'd be reminded anew of your mission, which is now our mission, that what you've done in us, you now want to do through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's sing and enjoy this together.